Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I uh, hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Got a real special uh, prize for you today. We're going to run the full. You've seen clips of it if you followed the show, but uh, you're going to listen to the full Rod Carew interview. And my goodness, every minute of it's worth it. Um, but I'm going to uh, take the honor and have the honor and do the honor of introducing Mr. Carew in, as how he should be introduced. Uh, 328 career average, which is top 10 all time. Again, over 24,000 players in the big leagues. There's not 10 better hitters than this guy. 3,053 hits, seven batting titles, 18 all-star games. Um, Rod Carew did not play high school baseball. Let me just let that sink in for you young men out there. Signs of free agent in 1964, hit 292 with 51 RBIs, made the all-star team his rookie year in 67, won the rookie of the year. Uh, next year, he had 273 in what would be the last year for the next 15 that he would hit under 300. He would hit 300 or better in the next 15 seasons. Won his first batting title in 69, hitting 332, helping the Twins win uh, the inaugural AL West crown. Uh, he was hitting 366 the following year in 51 games uh, in 1970 before a knee injury uh, forced him to miss three months. He hit 307 in 71. Uh, and then in 72, 73, 74, and 75, he won the batting title. Missed it in 76 by .002. The next year, he had his best season win, uh, his MVP. He was the first guy that, in my memory, who who, uh, who challenged uh, the Ted Williams 400 mark. He was hitting, gosh, he was hitting 390-something late in the year. Ended up hitting 388, 128 runs, 100 RBIs, won the MVP. I think he had uh, uh, 20, 15 or 18 home runs, his career high in home runs that year. Um, followed that up uh, with a slumping 333 in 1978 to win his seventh batting crown. Uh, and then was traded to the Angels prior to 1979. Uh, spent seven years in California, moved to first base from second base to, in California, helped them to win two titles, 79 82, and then hit 294 in the ASCS for them. Uh, Stayed active through 1985, reached the 3,000-hit milestone, uh, becoming just the 16th player ever to do that. Uh, 1991 was duly elected to the Hall of Fame, and another epic failure by the righties. He failed to receive 100% of the vote. Um, but let me just tell you, you're getting ready to watch a man full of class and integrity and dignity uh, and hear him tell some of the coolest stories you've ever heard. So enjoy the interview, guys. So first off, you know what? Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. I um, I was born and raised in the '70s. I was a National League guy. I was a Pirate guy. Um, but some of you guys were so good, you uh, you transcended leagues, and you were certainly one of them. Um, I, I I'm curious to know. I, I guess one of the things I, I kind of ask guys nowadays, uh, the the modern day game, and the changes in the approach as, as to hitting. Uh, I look at it and think, my goodness, I'd love to be pitching today because everybody swings and misses. 
uh, and back when you played, not a lot of people did. Um, what? Give me some impressions on your on the modern day player and, and hit, how hitting has changed. Well, you know, I hate it. I hate to see all the strikeouts. You know, I used to get upset at myself when I struck out, and I had to, you know, lug that lumber back to the dugout because <laughs> I hated that. And I see guys are striking out two hundred times a year today. They might hit 25 home runs, but um, that that's not beneficial to the club. But, the, you know, um, it's all about hitting the ball out of the ballpark. They're taking a lot of these kids, and I think that they're ruining these kids. And a lot of them aren't going to stay around in the big leagues for a long time because uh, they're doing what they're not supposed to do supposed to be doing or um, not capable of doing. And I see it every day. You know, I've gotten to the point that I don't even watch baseball anymore. And I love I baseball. I can't either. I watch the twins because I still work for them. Right. And I can give them some insight into some of the things that the kids are doing. But to say, go from channel to channel, and and watch different games i don't do that anymore it's it's just um you see the same things over and over it's hard to watch it it, it, it is and, and it is. you know i i always looked at uh, you know people always talk about um you know who was the guy you'd least want to face and 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 you know i, I always tell people you were a sabermetrics bill james guy long before those things existed because you understood your job as a hitter was to get on base didn't matter right. how and right. and one of the things that I always keyed on early on in my career was, listen, you show me a guy that strikes out a hundred times a year and I'll give you a game plan to get him out. I don't care how many home runs he hits, but if you strike out a hundred times, you have holes in your swing. Definitely. I did not want to face the guys who punched out 30 times a year because I couldn't make them swing and miss. And, you know, guys like Tony Gwynn and, and, and some of the smaller – and it was always the smaller guys in the game because you had to fight your way to the big leagues. And right. if you were small, you had to hit. And, and you know, watching you growing up – and, and my, I idolized Roberto Clemente. He was – my dad was a Pirate fan. And um, I, I know you didn't play in the, in the National League, but I, I'm sure you ran across him. And um, I watched him a lot. I would love to hear anything you have from an impression perspective of Mr. Clemente. Well, you know, Roberto was the kind of player that all Latin players looked up to because he had always had a good word to say about uh, how you should dress, how you should look, how you should, how you should behave yourself, and don't take anything for granted because you're a major league baseball player. Yeah. You know, the respect part to him was the most gratifying thing to a young player. And, you know, when I met him my second year in, uh, in Houston, uh, during all-star game, Tony Oliva walked me over and introduced me. And he, he told Roberto, this young man's going to be a star one day. And right away, he started telling me, the things and the way to care myself. Yes. You know, and, and so I learned from that. And he also told me, you know, if I'm going to be a star in this league, help take care of the young Latin players. Yes. Because they're going to need our help and advice. And hopefully 
you know, you'll do them some good. So when I would play, when I would have a Latin player come to Minnesota, I would al always invite him over to lunch or whatever, you know, just spend the time yes. before he went to the ballpark and, and developed a, uh, a friendship with him and tell him, this is what the man told me about the way to go about doing this with your kids. Well, and, and, and a lot of people don't understand how much more there is to this life than, you know, the nine innings we play. And, you know, I always, I always argue, uh, and I argued when I played, uh, people can't understand, and especially the media, they don't understand that, that, you know, I'm an American, I come to the big leagues, I speak English, I speak the native language, and I've grown up in this environment. Kids are coming from Panama, Netherlands and Tealies, the Dominican Republic, and they're living in literally mud huts on Friday. And then nowadays, they're coming to the big leagues on Monday with $50 million in their pocket, and nobody's prepared for that. Nobody's, right. no, you know, and, 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 in the, in the, in, and you know, I, and sometimes it's funny. I swore I would never be that bitter old guy yelling at the kid on my lawn. But, yeah. but the respect thing to me is tragic. The lack of respect for the game. Uh, and, and, and it's not, listen, I don't, you know, all the goofy stuff that they do after they hit home runs, that's just stupid and whatever. I get right. the, but, 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 but you know what, Kurt? Kurt, you know what? To me, that's a lack of respect too. I agree. Because if they played when we played, they would understand that they can't get away with all that crazy stuff. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine standing in the box and watching a home run off Bob Gibson? Oh, I'll tell you a story on Bob Gibson real quick. Being a rookie, I was playing a game against him in uh, spring training in St. Petersburg. Tim McCarver's is catching, and I'm trying to cover up this hole where my left foot goes, <laughs> and give me. Is yelling at me from the mound. Really? Get in the batter's box. Yeah. <laughs> and then McCarver looked up at me and says, Tim, look at this big hole. I can't stand here. He says, Well, you, you better change it. The man <laughs> wants the man wants to go. Give me through four pitches at me and miss me. And then as I'm walking down to the first base, he walked over and he says, Don't even try and steal second. <laughs> and you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I did because I knew what was going to happen. Right, right. but it was, it was it was such a beautiful time in the game. I like I said, I grew up in the seventies at the height. Of, you know, when you were just magic to watch. And you know, uh, my I only attended one game in my life, and that was the final game of Roberto Clemente's career when he got mm -hmm. his three thousandth hit off John Matlack, uh, and then passed away a couple of weeks later in the plane crash. And it was the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry. That was my dad's idol. And, you know, I grew up a pirate fan and I met, I met Mr. Stargell one time after he had retired. And it was the only time in my life I've ever been speechless. Um, yeah. because I think there, it was a golden time in baseball. The seventies and the eighties, I think was real baseball for the last time in, in a lot of different ways. And, and I, I'm, there's some things I want to ask you. Um, toughest pitcher you ever faced? Uh, Rudy May. Really? The, yeah, Rudy May hit the ball so well from me that one minute it's there and the next minute it's gone. Yep. You know, I could never pick the ball up out of his hands because that's the way I, I used to hit. Right. See the ball come out of the hands and then react to it. And he just had me eating out of his hands. 
there are so many guys that are pitchers and hitters alike who their toughest guy is not a Hall of Famer. It's some obscure guy out of the bullpen or some fifth starter. Um, and uh, but but talk, like what would I mean? Obviously, you saw him. Uh, you played with him, but you saw him as a hitter too. What was it like to face Nolan early in his career? Oh, you know the sense that I developed of being low and oh yeah yeah well nolan did that really because he, oh yeah i used to chase his fastball that's up and one minute it's there and the next minute it's gone and i struck out i think i'm number four on the strikeout list he really struck, he struck me out 29 times you know wow. I, I ended up hitting 300 off of him but i had to make adjustments right and so what I, I would do is I would take like two or three weeks of extra hitting and I would sit on a stool that sw swivel so that I would not get up off that stool, you know, while I made my move to, really? to, to go to the baseball. And when I saw that uh, I could do it consistently and feel good, I tried it in a game against him and my first three at-bats I got hits. And then the next game I faced him, uh, I got two hits. Next game I faced him, I dropped a bunt down uh -oh. and hit a high chopper <laughs> and beat it up for a hit. And But during that at bat, he was yelling at me from the mound, stand up! Stand up. <laughs> so I gave him the whole finger going down and said, no, bring it down. Because his fastball still exploded. Yeah. But it was exploding down. And since I'm keeping my body down, I was able to handle the ball and, and hit the ball from right field to left field. Something I've always wanted to ask you, when I was younger, uh, you were one of the guys that, you know, when we played wiffle balls, kids and stick ball, your stance was always, you know, very in the day and age, very different. And one of the things I took from you, I was a big guy and I could, when I was young, I could hit, but I loved your flat bat. Because yes. I because I always thought that the quickest way the quickest path to the strike zone was not from here it was from here and I right. could bring and I could still swing with power but I just had my hands started flat and I and 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 I crouched low because I wanted to be at the top of the strike zone and right. I didn't you know so in my mind I never went down for something low or high I always went down for the ball and I'm wondering that flat bat was it something you always did. It's a, a, a movement that I made so that I could get the bat through the hitting zone, uh, not swinging up, but swinging down. And um, I would not be a good hitter today because they would want me swinging up, and I yeah. just, you know, I couldn't do that. You know, my first year, Bob Lemon, who was the, the hitting coach for the Twins, you know, I was hitting the ball up the middle into left field and getting base hits. And then he says, young man, you have to start pulling the ball. <laughs> I says, Bob, I will pull the ball if they give me a pitch. Right. I says, I will definitely roll over to hit the ball on the ground on the hit and run. But I said, I'm hitting 500 going the other way. Right. You know, why should I, why should I change that? Right. Change that. And he says, well, you know, I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that, and and that was that was the old way, though. That I mean, if you, it, I, I know you. I I don't. I didn't see this as much as you did, but the game and coaching was very set in its ways. 
Right. And, 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 you know, if you didn't listen, it was almost a sign of disrespect. And, yes. and, and if you didn't listen, you had better be damn good because, and which exactly what you did, you hit through that. And, you know, after hitting 388, I'm pretty sure nobody was telling you to change your approach. <laughs> but, but, but one of the things that I marvel at is in the, in your first six seasons, you, you struck out more than you walked. You struck out 403 times. You walked 209 times for the rest of your career. You struck out 625 times and walked 809 times. Now, that to me is, I always look at young players and, and, you know, a lot of guys today say if he, he is what he is when he gets to the big leagues. And I've never believed that. I've always believed if you get enough minor league time and you learn the game, you can make the adjustments at the big leagues. You clearly did that. You became a guy who on base percentage was always a big stat for you and you were always good at it. But when you started swinging and missing less and walking more, you know, you eventually you win the MVP and have one of the most amazing years ever in 77. Um, did that, did you notice, was that some conscious thing you were trying to do and got better at? Well, it, it's something that I, uh, worked at because, uh, when Mr. Griffith brought me up to the club, he said, you know, we've got five or six guys that are going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. What I want you to do is to get on base and steal some bases and score runs. Right. And so that made me discipline myself more. Because when I, when I, before they signed me, I was more of a power hitter. So now I had a different job to do. And so I said to myself that I was going to work at this every day. So I, I took extra batting practice at least five days a week. Right. Because I, I knew I had to, you know, work hard right. to do what I'm supposed to do to help the club. And uh, it just became easy after a while that, you know, I see the ball and I, I know where I'm going to hit it because any movement I see where the ball is going away, I had an idea right then that I can hit this pitch up the middle or take it to left field or hit it down the left field line. Right. You know, I I didn't try to pull it because I knew if I pulled it, I was going to roll over and hit a weak ground ball to the second baseman. And so I I really just disciplined myself to – you know, doing the things I knew I was capable of doing. Well, I, I always think too that if, and, and I'm sure you know this as well. I always found that guys that end up being very good to great players, they're the first skill they have is they understand their tool set. Right. They know what they can do, what they can't do. And they'll work, you know, uh, I always marveled at the guy who worked at his weakness rather than worked at his strength. Right. And, you know, I played with some, some of the greatest hitters that ever lived. And, and you know, Manny Ramirez was, was, he was just an artist to watch. But the guy that I, I, when I think of you, the guy that I think of is Tony Gwynn. And, right. uh, and, and I say to people, and they don't understand this, but, and it, it's, it's said with complete respect. And I would compare it. You would be the same way. There were guys, some guys that were so good. They were easy to pitch to because now, and it, what it was, it was Tony was going to hit the ball where you pitched it and he wasn't going to hit it weekly. He was going to put the barrel on the ball. So in right. my mind, I said, okay, I'm not going to make him swing and miss. So I'm going to move my left fielder in. I'm going to move my center fielder over, and I'm going to stack the left side of the infield because he's going to hit it that way. I can't stop him. I just right. have to hope he hits it at somebody. And when Tony got heavier at the end of his career, I was grateful because he ended up being a guy, when he was young, he was like you. A single wasn't a single. If, if I wasn't good at on the mound holding runners, it was a double. Right. And, and you know, that that approach of, of – hitting and i always wondered 
about guys like you that hit to the level you did. Did you have a favorite park to hit in? Yeah, I had the old Met in Minnesota because they had a great background. Yep. You could see the ball well. And even the visiting players, they came in and they might be hitting 220 and then they leave and they're hitting 280. <laughs> and I, was, I always wondered about that. So I asked the guys, I says, how come you hit so well at our park? I said, this has the best background that a hitter yeah. needs to see the ball, you know, uh, day games especially. So, yeah, that the old Minnesota Twins Park was was the park that I enjoyed hitting in more than and any there other. Were always, there were always parks you felt more comfortable in the batter's box. I same way with me on the mound. I always there were places where I felt really comfortable on the mound, and places where I felt like I was in jail uh, on yeah. the mound. And and, and I, I would assume that hitting uh, was the same way. I, I want to ask you. Uh, I want to. I, I would like to get a couple names from you. Best players you ever played with or saw or played against? Tony Oliva, who was a miracle maker, and we roomed together for about 11 years. Uh, George Brett, who I thought was a heck of a, uh, a player, and he could do everything on the field. Yeah. Um, you, you couldn't get him out. He had One, a stance like you, too. Yeah. The, well, you know, I talked to um, the hitting instructor, and he, he always asked me why I kept my bat like that. Right. And I gave him a little explanation. Then the next year, Al Cowens, Freddie Patek, George Brett, they were all hitting. <laughs> Al McGray, yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another guy was the guy that you played with that I admired as a player was Larry Ball. Oh, Hot God. Hot-headed. <laughs> And um, but when he was out there, it was all about playing the game and winning the game. He had to be a nightmare to grow up with. Uh, yeah. I, I, he was he had the reddest ass of any coach I've ever been around. Still does to this day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also why he was who he was. That's how he got to the big leagues. Right. Uh, and, and he would pick a fight with anybody and let Vukovic fight it for him. But uh, <laughs> what a what a yeah. Such a, and you said something. I want to, I'm going to, this is not something people talk about, um, but it's something that uh, is, is a dramatic, I can't even imagine it. You had roommates in the big leagues. Right. Like, when I came up in the minor leagues, we had them for a couple of years, but then no, never. We never had roommates in the big leagues. And I can't even imagine that lifestyle change and difference. Well, you know, it was nice to have a roommate because. If you have a, a tough day, you can go back. And right. Tony and I would talk until we times in the morning. And uh, we just talk about the game, what he saw. We went out and we bought a little uh, Bell and Howell camera. And we would film each other really? from, from the bench. Yeah. Oh, then we'd go back to the hotel, that's take awesome. the sheet off the bed, and put it up as our screen. And we would watch ourselves hit. Yep. Um, and and then we'll we'll critique it. I didn't do much critiquing. He did most of the critiquing <laughs> because you know I was a young gun back yeah. in those days. But um, yeah, I I was able to play with some some great players, guys that knew how to play the game, who loved the game, and um, went back to the hotel after the game and talked about the game. I can't I can't get over because it was so. I mean. 
on all the good teams I played on, we found a guy's room to go to. We would congregate because we always wanted to be together and, and right. have fun. And th that was on the winning team. On the losing teams, I didn't want to see anybody till the next day. And we got to the yeah. ballpark. And and so what? What? A, I can't even. I, I don't know that I can explain to people how different that lifestyle. That's such a dramatically different lifestyle than the players live today. You know, because oh, all of them have yeah. suites in their contract. They live by themselves. They bring their entourage on the road. Right. Uh, your, your entourage was your 24 teammates. That's it. And, and you know, because, yeah. you know, we weren't like ready to leave the ballpark right away after the game. Oh, yeah. Was over. yeah. And I noticed that when I became a hitting coach for uh, the Angels, you know, by the time I would get upstairs after straightening out the, the little room downstairs, guys were five Gone. minutes and they're out. Yeah. They're walking, they're walking down the, the yep. hallway because they're going home. And I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Well, I remember in, in uh, for when I was with the 93 Phillies, the training room was the post-game break, breakdown session. The right. Couch, you know, Dutch and the, the leaders all sat in there with their ice all over their bodies. And as you walked in, you got your review for the day. And it yeah. was either, hey, come here and sit down, need to talk to you, or hey, good job. You know, now forget about it. Tomorrow's a new game. <laughs> and, yeah. But but and that that and that you can see along all of those things have changed. And I don't think any of those things are for the better. Because I grew up in a clubhouse. That's what that you, you people understand. I spent we spent more time with our teammates and our families during the baseball season. Yeah. And you learned you learned a lot too. You did. Let me ask you about another player, someone, a man I played for, a man I idolized, uh, who was a red ass himself. I still believe he's the most underrated Hall of Famer in baseball history, Frank Robinson. Oh, you know, when Frank came over from the National League, I used to watch him because he did the little things on the field that I used to say to myself, this guy is a home run hitter. And yeah. here he's trying to move a runner by hitting a, a soft ground ball to, to second base. Yep. You know, and I, I learned from him how to play the game. And after that, I said, if he can do this, I can do it. I can drop a bunt down right. and move the guy or get a base hit. Yeah. I remember I played for him when he was managing in the Orioles, and I'll never forget – Sometimes great players don't translate into great managers. And and right. and but and I think one of the reasons for Frank was he could not understand how can you not hit a ground ball to the right side with a runner on second base? And and it was like okay, and you'd think to yourself, Frank, it's not actually that easy. But in his mind, that was like, of course you can do that. And he could because make, it's oh, it's a pitch. Right. It's right. a pitch that you have to look for to be able to do that yep and 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 looking ahead that's what's happening today in the big leagues start the runner off at second base and don't bunt him over you know well, guys guys leave him there and how many ways can you score from third base right with no out one out uh which puts some pressure on the other club right and, and I putting get the ball everything. In play. Right. And putting the ball in play to the right side doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make an out. Right. Right. You know, uh, it but could it, just it, yeah. go through the go through the hole, you get a hit, and you get the guy, you know, around scoring a run or ending up at third. Let me ask you about something else that would be uh, 
that would be, I think I, I'm interested to hear what you think of, or your, how you would approach this. I never was worried about uh, the uh, the infield shift as a pitcher. Cause I, in my mind, I would tell my defenders, I set my own defense because I said, listen, I'm going to pitch it here. He's going to hit it here. I want you to be here. Um, I always looked at the shift as, Hey, you know what? I know it's not easy, but you got to learn to hit against it. Now, the only guy I ever saw succeed was Ted Williams. He hit against the shift and he didn't care where anybody was, but hitters today and the shift rule changing was because hitters weren't adjusting or couldn't adjust. How because they didn't work at it. And that's my exact thought. That's exactly how I feel because, you know, they, they could have done it when you played, but your spray chart was line to line. And, right. right. And so you can't, you can't shift against the guy who can hit the ball from left field line to right field line. Well, you shift, I shift. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Good. That's what, and that's what good hitters. I always said, listen, if you bunt four times against the shift, they'll probably stop shifting. That's right. That's because true. Can you imagine if you had the entire left side of the infield open on a shift? You would have hit 400. You might have hit 500. <laughs> yeah, but they would have stopped. Right. Yeah, they would have been playing uh, like regular infield, not a pull Exactly infield, right. Right. You know, so. I, I want to ask you about your MVP season. Um, it I mean, so so you you said you came up a power hitter. You hit 14 home runs twice, and that was your high. I always felt like, and, and you didn't hit cheap ones either. You hit you hit when you got a pitch to hit a home run. You you drove the ball, but it was something you you opted to not try to do. I think your home runs were a result of guy makes a mistake. I'm going to kill it in the pitcher's count. And sometimes I hit a couple on uh, hit and run. Because really? I stayed on top yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I, I mean, but but you 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 uh, the, the seventy seven season you you did it all. You 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 were. I don't remember the latest date you were at four hundred, but but was it something in your mind as you, the season? Because I you know listen, I, I'm a player. I I knew my statistics. That's what that's what dictates your paycheck. So right. it, but, and it was never a selfish thing. But you couldn't yeah. help. You couldn't help. They had to be asking you about it every day, and and did was it a good thing or a bad thing for you? It was a bad thing for me because I set I tried to set some rules that I got to the ballpark early, and if you want to interview me, please show up early because once I start getting myself ready for the game, I don't want to talk about trying to hit four hundred. Right. You know, I want to have my game head on for the game. Right. And so I went to Gene Mock and I told Gene Mock, I said, Skip, would you help me out this way? When the riders come in, tell them they can either talk to me now, but close to game time, he's not going to talk to you and I don't want him to talk to you because I want him right. ready mentally, you know, for the ball game at hand. And he yeah, did. I he did. really helped me out. And I think that that's, a, that's been a shift. In, and I always uh, commented on about the fact that, you know, I on the days I pitched, I didn't talk to anybody other than my catcher and my infielders and my pitching coach. And it was never, you know, I was gruff and I was surly about it, but it was never like an intimidating thing. I was right. I was getting paid to win, not pitch. Right. And, and I always I always took that as a very I played with guys who who knew they were getting paid to pitch. And 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 for me, when the money I'm making, you're paying me to win ball games. And this is how I know best to do it. Now, if that upsets right. other people, tough 
I, you know, yeah. I don't care about that. I can't. I'll talk because, to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Right. Exactly right. Because <laughs> it, it took for me, it took a lot of mental preparation to uh -huh. go out on the mound and have pitching be the only thing on my mind. Right. And that was, you know, and, and from a game plan perspective as a hitter of your caliber, I mean, I, I learned from Tony Gwynn. I'll never forget this. Tony Gwynn went five for five one night and I was pitching the next day. And in the paper afterwards, he said to the media, well, you know, I knew everything he was throwing before the game started. So, you know, I got the pitches that I wanted in the counts I wanted them in. And I'm thinking to myself, I got no chance of getting this guy out. <laughs> but I took that in reverse and said, listen, if I can find a guy's holes and exploit them, then I'm going to I only need to get 10 or 12 outs a game instead of 27 because the other ones are gimmies. Right. And, you know, that you were in a in day and age, like you said, the, the film thing you talked about to me that's just fantastic because that's where as a player you'll find any edge you can I, I i don't i don't you know and i took my notebook on the bench and i was writing notes and people would look at me like i had three heads but that's all i knew and you I do what you know and all those silver sluggers behind you are a testament <laughs> to the to the work and what you know you just said about your little black book we played i went into yankee stadium uh we had a, a three-game series Catfish Hunter was on the, on, on the mound that night. And uh, Thurman Munson was catching. So this was a Saturday. Uh, the day before on Friday, I'd gotten a couple of hits. So as I'm standing by the cage, he's going down to the, to the bullpen to wait for a catfish. He says, how many are you going to get tonight, big boy? <laughs> I said, I don't know how many I'm going to get. But I'll tell you about one at bat, and um, I'm going to just amaze you and play with your head a little bit. He says, what do you mean by that? I says, wait until my second at bat. So I went up to the plate, and, you, you know, he's untying my shoe and throwing dirt on my, my legs and the whole works. <laughs> Ron, Ron Luciano is on behind the plate. And Thurman says, well, I said, I tell you what, I'm going to call every pitch. I'm going to yell it out just before he releases it. And then Luciana looks at me and says, can you do that? I says, yeah, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> so the, the first two pitches he threw me was fastball down and in, slider down and in. So I called both of them. And Thurman says, you know, with that fun stance you got, you got to be peeking. You, you got to be able to see my sign. <laughs> I says, no, man, I wouldn't do that. So he goes out to Catfish, and he was going to tell Catfish to knock me down. So he comes back, say, we're going to deck you on this next pitch, or maybe the pitch after. I says, no, he's not going to do that. He says, he has respected me as a player for the years that I've faced him. And I, I've respected him. I've never shown him up, you know, nothing. So now here comes the third pitch. And as he releases, I said, fastball away, double down the left field line. Fastball oh. away, double, I hear double down the left field line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on second base. And all you could see was Luciano. <laughs> Giving me that, yeah. So uh, the next day, Thurman comes in. He says, "How'd you do that, man?" So I pulled out my little black book, 
And for all the time that I've faced catfish, it was the same pattern. So I knew what I was getting. Yeah. And that's why I could, you know, he said, I got to get one of those black books. <laughs> maybe it might help me out a little bit. Uh, but, well, and yeah, that was, that was the thing that uh, I was, the greatest players were always the hardest workers. They, you know, yeah. it, it, everybody talks about the greatest players being the most talented. Now the greatest players are no. the hardest workers. They put yeah, the most they, time. So yes, definitely. Listen, this has been an absolute honor for me. Uh, I, I, I've been a lifelong fan. I'll always be a fan. Uh, congratulations on a hall of fame life, not just a hall of fame career, but a hall of fame life. And God bless you, my friend. And, and I wish you many, many healthy and happy years ahead of you. Thanks pal. You know, when Larry was coaching with me at the angels, he was trying to get you over there with us for the, <laughs> the longest time and he never could. Oh, you know, I uh, just saw him this weekend. Yeah. Still as angry as ever. <laughs> oh yeah but well the well, next time you, you see him say hello i will do that my friend i will do that okay. god bless you take care of yourself okay god bless you too, all right buddy. sir okay uh okay i told you i mean how cool was that i mean the stories the the the, the nolan ryan's i mean all of it all, all of it is just gold um that's rod carew uh and there's i could have done that for another two hours by the way um Grab our podcast anywhere you can find your podcast, guys. Uh, Outkick, we'd like you to find it at Outkick. If not, Spotify, uh, Apple, anywhere you find your podcast, spread the word. Uh, we'll be back on Friday, Bill, with more. Uh, seasons winding down. We are headed into the dog days. Uh, waivers are done. Teams are set. Um, if you're Atlanta, pray for a month of no injuries and get to the postseason. Everybody else is going to be battling their butts off. So have a great week, guys.